Hi, I'm Chris Plum, head coach and CEO of Carmel Swim Club. This is the Off the Deck podcast. Off the Deck champions Carmel Swim Club's mission, teaching excellence through swimming for life. Carmel Swim Academy will provide an entry point for more children in central Indiana to have access to life-saving programs. It's true. Drowning is the leading cause of injury-related death in children 1 to 4 and the second leading cause of death in children 5 to 9. But there is hope. Participation in formal swimming lessons could mitigate the risk of drowning by 88%. We are compelled to use our expertise in swimming to make our community safer and ensure every child has the opportunity to learn to swim. To learn more, visit www.carmelswimacademy.org. The Off the Deck podcast is also sponsored by Gain Swimming. Gain Swimming is the gold standard in dry land training. We have our annual clinic in Carmel coming up September 10th through the 12th at Carmel High School. To learn more, visit www.thegainnetwork.com slash gainswimming. Today, I am joined by the one and only Jack Roach. Jack Roach has been involved in swimming. Well, maybe we won't go too deep into that, but... Uh, I know, I know from his bio here, he started with Mission Bay Aquatics in 1986 to 1990, working alongside legendary coach Mark Schubert. He's currently working with Tide Swimming in Virginia as a director of coach and athlete development. He's got 35 years of coaching experience. Um, he's been with the national team, with the national junior team. I met Jack when he was the national junior team director, probably, I don't know, maybe 2014, I would say 15, somewhere in there. Um, I had to beg him to put me on the, uh, the staff to go to Maui. Not uh, true. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Jack, welcome to the show. How are you today? Great, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, when I'm asked to do things like this, I, I'm very humbled and my wish is always that I honor what your attempts are and your in why you're doing this and can help the best I can. Oh, I think um, I've known you. I find you uh, one who really takes the time to. I just think you have such a unique and I don't know if gentle is the right way, but you certainly get the idea of the human aspect of of coaching and connecting. Um, I don't know. Can you talk to us a little bit how when, and maybe it's different now that you're um, 35 years of coaching experience, but you know, where does that come from? And what, what does this sport mean to you in terms of relationships? Cause I think that's really what I was been most impressive with me watching you on the pool deck and everybody knows you, loves you, talks to you. And like, um, so I don't know, talk to us about that. Yeah, I, I think, at some point in my life, and it was pretty early on, I, I, I realized that there are only two things that shape our lives, and that's people and events. And I, uh, I also started to recognize that in order for me to make an impact in the way that I value the craft that we're in was that you, you you can't really guide someone or you can't move some help nudge someone in a direction that they want to go in if if you don't know them 
And and that means you have to ask a lot of questions. We we all see the world so differently. And to think that someone sees the world the same way as I do is just we're we're basically like grains of sand on the beach, right? And if if you're going to help someone accomplish what they want to accomplish, almost regardless of age, uh, you really do have to get to know them. And that requires you to spend an, an enormous amount of time caring about how you want that relationship to work. And, you know, you have to drill into their family. It, it just is, it's all consuming. And for me, it's all consuming in the best of ways because I, I see someone doing something that I want to be more like. And that means that, you know, I, I see these qualities in almost everyone I work with, like, I want to be more like that. And so that opens up all these great opportunities to get to know one another on a deeper level. Yeah, you know, when I, when I first got to know you and meet you, it was... um you would, I would see you at nationals and uh, you were there taking the time with everybody. And you just, I feel like the one thing I, I always respected about you is like this whole meet is going around. It's a buzz. But yet when I talked to you, it, it was the only thing that mattered. Like nothing else was happening around you. And so you, I think you have the strong ability to connect and to listen. And do you think that's what, has made you successful today is just are you valuing that person that time work what are you thinking when you when you're talking to those people um at the meets with so much going around yeah i i guess there's probably two parts to that i uh i'm almost in, in a place where in this changes all the time and i guess you could call it evolving or you could call it getting older but i I almost believe that people like yourself and probably people that are listening to this, that they're, they're always on the move. They're just ripping through life. You know, that if you're going to make a difference, you stay busy. And we always hear these conversations on balance. What does balance look like? How do you balance your life? And I, I have come to believe that if you're going to make change, you're going to be so busy that you don't necessarily, I don't think balance is the right word, or if you're going to balance, how do you define it? And I believe that balance is staying in the moment as much as you possibly can, maximizing every opportunity that you have where time actually slows down. And a conversation like you and I are having right now Am I bringing enough value to this conversation where you're listening to what I'm saying, you're processing what I'm saying, it helps you have a different view of what's going on, and there's space between our conversations. And if that's the way it works for me, too. I, there's a few things that go on in conversation. One is you're listening to me, I'm listening to you, and what are you thinking when I'm talking? Are you already planning a different discussion because I've lost your interest? 
I'm getting way overboard here, but my, my point being that staying in the present moment is the only way to balance. That is balance to me. You're maximizing that time. And that's so rich that it actually, uh, it, it eases me. It gives me space to relax. So I, I, uh, I, I, there's just Richmond in conversation. It's so rich. And I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't, I, I find anything that I'm doing when I allow myself to learn and to be curious and to grow, then that's really maximizing my life. And certainly as I've gotten older, I realize it even more. That time is just so precious. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about your, your career. You are a Marine. Yeah. And a Marine to a swim coach. That's probably not a, a path that a lot of people have taken <laughs> if you look at it. But I don't meet many. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you start? I know you're also a beach lifeguard, but how did you get started in coaching and swimming? Uh, obviously, I mean, my father was in the military. He could probably, he's probably, you know, swimming, coaching would be the last thing you probably ever were thinking about doing. So how did you start and what brought you to the water? Yeah. You know, I grew up on the coast of North Carolina and uh, my family, we were all very avid uh, surfers and sailors. My dad kind of brought that into my life. And uh, there wasn't, I was from a very small town in North Carolina and there wasn't a year round swim program. But every summer, a coach would come in, and we had a club swim team during the summer. I guess that's typical of a lot of places. And uh, I went, I, there were three in my career as a swimmer from the age of 12 through 18, and every one of them were very uh, instrumental in my development and shaping my life. And back to people and events are the only two things that shape our lives. And every one of those uh, coaches that came through, I just uh, grew and learned so much from. I, I wrestled in high school and I uh, ran track and I was much better at wrestling and running track than I was swimming. But the coaches in swimming were the impact. They made the big, they, they, influenced me. And they kind of pulled this curtain back of what athletics could really look like. It, you know, this is 1955 to 1965. And there wasn't a lot you could, especially only being exposed to swimming in the summer, there, there wasn't a lot I could learn by reading about it even. And, uh, it pulled a curtain back for me, and I thought, this is the lifestyle that I want to live. There were other things that I wanted to do in my life, but I always knew that I was going to be a swim coach, probably from the age of 15. Wow. I, I feel like I have a similar – I knew I was going to be a swim coach. I pretended like I was going to be a doctor for <laughs> a few years, but – I, I think deep down below the surface, I knew I was going to be a swim coach. So you started coaching, uh, and then you've you've kind of coached at all levels. You've coached the club, you've coached in college, 
um, what was the big difference for you going from the club program to the college level? Yeah, I, uh, I wasn't a very good college coach. I, uh, I, I don't believe that, but yeah. <laughs> well, when I, when I, it, it, at some point, like I, I, I probably, unlike you, for some reason, you, I feel like you got it figured out. You're staying in club. Not that college coaching is bad. College coaching is wonderful. But normally in our careers and as a coach in swimming, you think that the progression should be from club to college, right? It, that seems to be the appeal or the mainstream of what goes on. And obviously there's reasons for that. There's a little bit more you have a little more control of your time. You have a little bit, normally the salary is a little bit better. The benefits are better. And you're, and you're probably challenged in an intellectual way a little bit differently. And that's appealing as well. Uh, but wh where I struggled with college coaching was I, I didn't feel like I, I, you can make an impact in both, but the same impact wasn't as rich to me for whatever reason. Uh, the, the college people that I worked with, they're very receptive to learning and old, older people in the sport are very receptive to learning, but there was just something about probably being able to spend more time in general through the career of a swimmer on the club level appealed to me more. You know, you you start to watch them even if you aren't coaching them at the age of eight or nine, and you they leave ten years later, and that that just had such great value to me. Yeah, I mean, I've I um, I think I started my career in. I mean, I coached a year of high school, but then I went to college and came back to club. I did coach college and club at the same time, but. To me, I think you have such a greater impact on who they become when you coach a club program because I think they're a little bit more moldable and you can really instill the values. Whereas I think in college, they might be a little bit more formed and um, who they are. And there's, and I, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and each of us have our own goals and visions of who we want to be and coach and develop. But so I would agree on the club level as far as who you become, I think the club coach has maybe more of an impact over a broader sense of time. Because, like, I, I know we've talked about culture before, but um, you, you need to create a culture in a club program, and they're, and they're going to be a part of that culture over an extended period of time. So, and you've been all over visiting clubs, um, and the, what of the clubs that you've seen and been a part of? What do you think makes uh, a swim club successful? Yeah, well, you, you, I mean, it starts with the coaches and probably ends with the coaches. I, I, I believe that to be great, you have to stand for something. And every one of the programs that I feel like are doing things the right way they they do the coach understands their purpose and it's you know they're it's 
just being a part of a team and making having a very clear message on what you as a leader are you're creating a sense of belonging. I, I don't believe anyone buys into anything until they feel like they belong. Yeah. And and that you they care. It's almost as simple as that. Like some coaches care, but how much are they willing to care? And and the, the, the programs that are really thriving are the programs where they're willing to do whatever it takes to show that they care. I remember doing an interview. Um, the, the simple line is like, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And it's, yeah. it's it, it, I think it's at its at its core, essentially, that's basically what what it's about. And I liked your what you said about belonging. Um, and you know, do you feel? one thing I thought like when you were the national junior team coach was, you know, you, here you are, you, we were taking this collection of teenagers from all across the United States. And then by the end, they felt like, well, I am part of a community and part of a team. And I do belong here in a matter of, I don't know, it's sometime be 10 days a week, three days, even, you know, what, when you thought about bringing together a collection of individuals for, for those national teams to go over to Singapore, to Maui, I mean, rough places to go, I know, but what, uh, what were you thinking about in creating that kind of team USA feel? And, um, how did you, how did you do that in such a short amount of time? Yeah, I, it's, well, I, I don't feel like that was me. I felt like the, the national team had already established a culture and it still exists. And, I pretty much modeled what I watched the national team do and had been doing for years that once the national junior team, I was allowed to to structure it. I didn't do it any different than the national team. And, you know, there, there's certain words in my mind that I thought, well, if I can help model this and, and somehow spread this and you didn't even have to say the words but in discussions you look at leadership that that was one word that always stuck out to me and the definition of that to me was that everyone can be a leader it doesn't matter how good you are you can be a leader and that's just looking around and if someone needs help helping them out so that was one word that always stuck in my mind when I was doing this. And another word was merit. Not really what you did yesterday, not what you're going to do tomorrow, but what are you doing right now? And I felt like that was an important word because you have 18-year-olds and you have 14-year-olds and age should not be part of a culture based on someone older than someone that's younger. It's merit. What are you doing right now? And how does that look to everyone else when you're watching it? I think a, another big part of it was driving performance. And that's not results, but what are you doing in your behavior and actions every day to make a difference in what this, this group of people, what they're trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish? And it's so much more than winning, right? It's like, 
are you are you polite? Do you care back to belonging? How do you help someone feel like they belong? The the other I, the other one that just happened and is you like teaching mental toughness and you know the best definition I've ever heard on mental toughness is not what when everything's going wrong what's the next most important thing like being able to help a young person become unstuck when they're stuck yeah it's really a daunting task right but once like i i do think mental toughness is a a learn is it's a, a taught behavior i think some kids are born with it more than others but i do think it's a learned behavior that can be shaped and the difficult part of it is that they almost have to be struggling before you can start to shape it. <laughs> yeah. and, and normally they don't want to hear it when they're struggling, but it's, it, it is, I, it is like, we, we know how hard it is to be a swimmer. It's just hard. It's, you are tough to do it. The demands of that, but the mental toughness for me, that my physiology or my, my physiology is downstream from my psychology. Like, and, and I feel like as coaches and as in, in general in youth sport, I don't think we talk about that enough. We're starting, we're getting better at it. But I, 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 always, I always felt like, like the mental toughness side of the sport. And now it's, you're becoming more and more aware of it. it it's, it's so key and yet, so many people don't don't know how to define it, much less talk about how to make it better, how to work on it and improve it. And it's it's such an interesting thing because the body needs movement to stay healthy, yeah. and the mind needs stillness. <laughs> that in itself's a discussion, right? And, right. And I feel like the stillness is going to bring the movement into a play much more effectively than the movement brings the stillness into play. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're kind of talking to me a little bit about that uh, yin and yang, right? The, the stillness and the movement. And I think agree in this fast paced world, we do need to find some still time, some time away from your phone, some meditation to, to separate. And this to like, I don't know, like you're, you're, your stomach digests things, but do we ever let our brain like digest things? Right. And so, um, working through that and I totally agree on the piece about like finding that place when things do get hard and then having them be resilient because athletes don't want to listen until things aren't going their way. Um, if now that you're in this role of, uh, coaching athlete development, and you're having an athlete who's struggling or, you know, there's a season where things aren't going their way. How do you begin to turn that around for them? Yeah, I, I think that that's a, an enormous task for a coach. And you could start by looking at the dynamics of, of a coach swimmer, like ratio number wise, like one coach is likely coaching 15, 20, 25 kids. Right. And, I think when someone is struggling, I'm I'm not sure. Let let's back up just a little bit. If you and I go out running, and uh, 
we we go into this area where there's a lot of gravel and you get gravel in your shoes and I get gravel in mine. And I look at you and go, hey, Chris, I've got to stop and get the gravel out. You may look at me and go to heck with you, Jack. I'm fine running with gravel. Right. And uh, that that's kind of like the mental toughness. Right. Some people like they got it. Some people are still working on it. And uh, I, I mentioned that because I. It, there is a lot of difference between the young people. And so you can't treat them all the same. You've yeah. got to understand that gravel in this foot or in this shoe means something where it doesn't in someone else. And it's like when when people are struggling and really it, when they really start to go downhill, I've never figured out how to bring the pain up to prevent that spiral down. you With most of the people who, until they get enough gravel in that shoe, they aren't going to change their behavior. They'll make the same mistake over and over and over again, and you have to wait on it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, you see somebody, like I, I kind of, I, I sort of like the term, uh, self-centered you you hear that term well he's self-centered or she's self-centered and we look at that as a negative term but it, it really isn't if you like look at it in our sport when someone becomes self-centered they're protecting themselves because they're in pain and the whole key is well how do we recenter them and it, that's when you start to pick apart these different things and i don't believe that a, a coach or a teacher can give someone confidence. I think only the person that you're talking about can give themselves confidence. And that means that as a coach, you need to set up workouts. You need to set up different ways to uh, allow that person to accomplish what they're, they're unable to accomplish that that's challenging them. And that's a daunting task when you have 20 or 25 people and you're designing a workout. And, and yet I, I don't think there's any other way to do it. Yeah. 20, 25 people, four lanes. Yeah. How do you, uh, how do you do that? That's um, I haven't heard it quite put like you just did there, Jack. So I, I like where you're going with that though, because I think, we are in a rush, but sometimes you just have to be patient and, and let the athletes almost come to you. And I had another coach tell me too, that their metaphor was, well, they, you're trying to get the dog on the porch. And if you, you, you can't scare the dog, right? If you scare the dog, you're going to be off the porch. You have to bring them to the porch and not do any big movements. So <laughs> That's a great visual. <laughs> yeah, right. So. And I know you're a dog guy too. So maybe. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I often, when, when you see this going on, it, it's, it's pretty simple of like, is, is a young person walking into, to work out or are they starting to design their life in a way to see how much they can accomplish? Or are they doing it to try not to fail? Yeah. And it kind of looks the same, right? But if they're if they're trying not to fail, they're going to worry about what might go wrong. 
and it just won't work. It, it won't work for any length of time. There's no consistency in that at all. And when you can have conversations, the minute a swimmer gets out of the water and they haven't done what you and the coach had hoped that they might accomplish, you can probably go back and look at their past X amount of time. And for a while, they've been trying not to fail. And that just brings up so many questions and so much doubt. Yeah. Man, I really want to sit on that. And I like that's just it's a simple way, but it's so true, right? And I think we just cut right through a lot of the stuff and say there there it is. And we do. And you know the two questions that I I don't necessarily have that conversation with them on the pool deck if they've had a bad swim, but I do ask them one of I ask them these two questions. Were you unwilling? to do that or were you unable? And if you're unwilling, that's a whole different discussion than if you're unable. We can tweak things in a practice that'll maybe change the unable part, right? That's the physical. The unwilling, that's a very deep conversation. And, and it's, it's very hard for a coach to remove themselves from thinking that, they were unable. Uh, and like, the, the, and yet that's a big part of it too, right? It, it's, you have to be able to distinguish back again to the psychology or the physiology of what's going on. And I, I, I really think it's so important in my line of thought to keep the psychology upstream from the physiology. Yeah, and I know... I want to tell this story because you won't, but you ran from Colorado Springs to Denver. Was this 60 miles on your 60th birthday? Do I have that right? 65. Yeah. 65. Okay. So I think what you're demonstrating there is your own mental toughness and demonstrating, I mean, 65 miles on your 61st birthday. I don't I, I mean, running five miles is a daunting task. How did, how did you, how have you stayed so fit? Because I think one thing we haven't talked about here is coaching wellness and health and our sport. I mean, I want to go off on a little tangent here because we talk about it all the time and the importance of mental health and physical health. And yet I show up to swim meets and the hospitality room is like, it's like a junk food store. And I'm like, how are we supposed to stay healthy and treat each other well and take care of our athletes. If this is what, how we respond to, to swimmies and coaching and food and things like that. But here you are, you ran 65 miles on your 65th birthday. You stay fit, you're active. How have you managed to do that and, and coach in this kind of environment? What have, what have you thought about to, to get there? Yeah, I, I, you know, honestly, I think so much of it's luck. It's back to people and events that have shaped your life. And, you know, there, there are two things that really impacted me uh, while I was in the military. I, I was wounded and spent some time in a VA hospital. And at, at a very young age, I realized the importance of uh, or the value of my health. It, it, you know, you spend six months in a bed and you, you start, I believe that you start to think about that. It's the way that it impacted me. And And I think another part was uh, in reflection, looking back at 
at people that I knew that didn't make it through that, through the Vietnam War, uh, I, I started to ask myself, how can I live my life and honor that? And I started to believe that I was living on borrowed time. And there was a sense of urgency to that. At the same time, it was like, okay, if that's the case, I I started to understand uh, the quickness of life at a pretty young age. And all of a sudden, those things mattered to me, the, the quality in which I live my life and the value that I... I bring to people, it, it's based on my physical and mental ability to uh, to function because I'm not at my best otherwise. It's back to movement and stillness. That, and we're, we're in this wonderful time where it's available to everyone. You can learn about diet. You can learn about nutrition. You, it's, and, and, you know, the, the, we're watching a movement where the body and mind are coming together and there's a sense of understanding of it. And I just, I would encourage everyone to pursue that. I, I know that you did do in, in that podcast we had the, the way that you set up your day. It was just so impressive to me. And we have to take care of ourselves if we're going to be expected to take care of other people and, and function in a way where we're making sound decisions to, to help shape these young people's lives. Yeah, it becomes very difficult to to take care of others if you don't first take care of yourself. And I think you can do it. Yeah, you can't pour from an empty cup. I've heard that, and I, I, I'm a wholehearted believer in that. And I think, too, as leaders of our communities, you must embody what you say. Right. And I think you lose credibility if you don't. Um, so the health and wellness and movement. And, you know, you talk about the brain and stillness, but I, I just learned recently how so much of our brain and its, and its power and space is made for movement. Right. So we're built to move. Our space in our brain is to move. And so going on walks and, and staying movement and staying active, I think, is going to keep us healthier longer. And it's why we why we swim because it is a sport you can do for a long time and, and you've managed to be able to run. I know a lot of people have trouble with that with their body, but staying fit, staying healthy, staying active, I think can allow you, you know, still to contribute to our sport and bring that value. Um, I, I I agree, Chris. And you know, you can everyone can go out and walk, and you yeah. can get better at that. And exercise outside for me, it is. It, it is a practice of meditation. And there's so many studies now on being in the sunlight, having peripheral vision of what's going on around you outdoors. It, it does. It is a mindful practice. I love it, Jack. This has been, uh, this has been great. I'm going to, we're going to finish on a little bit lighter <laughs> mode here. <laughs> if you don't mind. Um, so, we ask you some quick questions here. They're fun. They can be light or go deep as you want. So um, if you could do a social kick with anybody at any time in the world, who would you do it with? Living or dying? Oh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. You can choose. 
goodness gracious. I, I think uh, Muhammad Ali. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I've just, uh, I, I was fascinated with him and his career, and I was certainly fascinated with his retirement and the way that he approached old age and death. Um, your coaching workout or you're out of practice, what song would you least like to pop up and hear? <laughs> I think the least songs that you're asking, the, the question that you're asking me, I don't have the answer to because oh, I don't know the names of those songs. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know the names. Okay. Um, I would say uh, on your playlist, what would be your top three songs you would like to hear on your workout? Yeah, I'm, I'm a real big Van Morrison fan, and, okay. and then I'm into like uh, – uh, I love the the Rolling Stones, but you know I'm that era, right? And right. Janis yeah. Joplin, all of those. So. Little Bobby McGee and little. Uh, oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, on a side note, I see these the kids today in practice, and they'll come in with a Rolling Stone shirt, and a Rolling Stones song comes on. I go, "Do you know who this is?" And I'm like, "No, I have no idea." <laughs> <laughs> and then, what is that <laughs> right what, like uh, i don't know what that's about so uh would you rather swim in the deep end or shallow end jack always deep always deep okay if I'm, an you ocean, had a I'm an ocean guy i know right yeah uh what would be your perfect diam order I would do away with breaststroke. <laughs> you and me both. That's probably everyone's answer. That's not a breaststroke. Not a breaststroker, right? Uh, or I think a lot of people I say have put it first. That way, I can maximize that pullout. <laughs> Game over. Right, right. Um, would you rather swim in a lane that is too cold or too warm, or a pool that's too cold or too warm? Too cold. Okay. Are you going first or last in the lane, Jack? I think I know the answer, but first, first, I love it. Yeah, Jack, I appreciate you taking the time this morning. Anything uh, you would like to say or add before we finish up? You know, there's, you know, I, I do, I would encourage everyone. Like, uh, it's so important for me to to hope that people start to understand their purpose in life. I, I just don't think you can put enough emphasis and time on that. And it requires you to do a lot of hard, lonely work. But I don't think there's any way to come up with that purpose without doing that. And I have these talks, like I did it in the ISL. And I thought, well, this is really stretching it, Jack. You're talking to a group of 25 to 35-year-old people and you're trying to encourage them to come up with a purpose. And, and I, I really sort of laid myself out there. And I wondered what kind of impact it would get. I do it with younger people, and I feel very comfortable doing it with them, although I'm not sure they're old enough to do it. And uh, I could not believe over, this was in Budapest last year, and I couldn't get over the number of people that reached out to me that were in that room that day and started to ask how they could better come up with that purpose. And I, I think there's a few things that have to happen when you are hunting for your purpose in life. One, it, it has to have meaning that's bigger than you. 
The other one is that every day you can just remind yourself when you get up, okay, this is my purpose. And then giving yourself permission for that to change. I think that if if you start to do that and it, you know, like every day is an opportunity to co-create a masterpiece. Boom. It's it's something that you wake up and you start to work on and do. And uh, it it will allow you to, when your framework starts to collapse, an athlete, when they start to question themselves, if they can go to their purpose, you can scramble and put that framework back together so quickly that it just allows you to, to reach your full potential. Wow, Jack. I mean, um, I've, this is going to take me some time, but I love talking with you today. This has been, uh, I, I hope all the young coaches out there and doesn't have to be coaches and swimmers, but take this advice to heart. You've been around, you've, you've seen a lot. You've been involved in the sport for so long. You're just a mentor for so many people. And I really appreciate you taking the time today to, uh, to share your insight. Well, Chris, I'm always a better person when I'm around you. And, and I sincerely mean that I've, uh, I've admired you uh, for years and greatly appreciate what you bring to our craft. Thank you. 